shit. Welcome to another 90s rock podcast. I am your host, Rob Ebert. And joining me on the other line is my good friend and drummer of the band Ra. That is the one and only Dave Perry. Dave, thanks for being with us tonight. Ooh, ooh. Uh, I'm going to do my intro. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> Another co-branded episode here, uh, backed by popular demand. Uh, this is the Mind Meld podcast with Dave Perry. Uh, thank you for listening and really excited to be sitting down again with Rob Ebert, as he alluded to in his intro there. Um, I am the drummer for the band Raw, and we are headed out on tour one week from today. And I believe today we are, you and I are going to be talking about live music, the good, the bad, the ugly, and everything in between and, and taking it from there, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm really excited to get into this. So let's okay. not waste any time. I think what the people are demanding, what the people want to know is we know you've been doing your fear of water thing for a while. Uh, you got a couple albums up on Spotify, a bunch of singles. Five. Five albums. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So how do, I mean, how did you get hooked up with the band Ra? Obviously, they had uh, some hits in the 2000s. Yep. They just came out with a new album. How does the drummer of Fear of Water, or should I, I guess the one-man band that currently constitutes Fear of Water, how do you wind up uh, drumming for Ra this summer? Yeah, they're, uh, the people listening might remember the song Do You Call My Name, which came out in 2002 and got to number four on the Active Rock Charts. Uh, when they came out um, and that was a song that I loved when I was in college. So it's very surreal for me right now to be talking about, I mean, like my drum sets right behind me as we're talking, I've been practicing on that multiple times a day. And just like, it, it's so weird for me to be like getting ready to go play 35 shows with these songs that I've loved for the last, you know, couple of decades. Um, but yeah, to answer your question, I've been doing the fear water stuff, like one man band by myself for whatever, since I was like 18. And as my skills have progressed and as my, like my business, like my advertising agency business has improved, I've been able to like get more and more serious about the level of investment that I make in uh, my recordings and recording these albums. Uh, earlier albums are stuff that I did like sitting right here at my computer and self-taught on everything, which is fun and fulfilling, but also very frustrating and limiting. Um, Cause I'm not, I don't proclaim to be like a professional engineer being able to make everything to sound as good as it should. So um, I've liked raw the band raw and then their, their lead singer and kind of, you know, he's like the Dave Grohl type where he, he can do everything and writes everything. His name is Sahaj Tikatin. And I've been following him for a while because other than raw, he is a very prolific engineer, producer, songwriter, and has worked with a ton of different bands that I like, including um, Bad Wolves, Nothing More, Seven Dust, even Motley Crue. And um, like with all the artists that he's worked with, he has over half a billion um, streams on things that he has been a part of. So that's really cool. And I've been following him for a while. I made friends with this band, Nothing More, which I'm a huge fan of. They're out of San Antonio. And they just did their last album or a portion of their last album with him. And when they ended that session, I just felt like I'm going to take a swing and go for it. I'm going to reach out to the guys that I know and say, like, would you mind making an introduction? And they said, absolutely. <clears throat> they got us connected. And I just like sent him some music and said, like, hey, man, I'm a huge fan, huge fan of your band, huge fan of the, the stuff that you work on. And it would be an honor if you would produce my next album. And he said, okay, well, I'm super busy. Send me some of your demo stuff and we'll see if it's a good fit. And I did. And he responded and said, sounds good. Let's do it. So I was super excited about that. And we spent about three weeks together in December of 2021 uh, at his home studio. And it was like, it was a lot of time. It was like, literally, it was probably like 17 days, 12 hour days, nonstop. Um, so we went from complete strangers to getting to know each other really well while spending all that time together. And that album is still being edited and, and there's going to be some guest performers there and stuff. So I'm really excited for that to see the light of day. But while we were working on that, while we we're getting to know each other, um, the drummer of his band Ra ended up retiring. Um, you know, he's in his fifties and he's got kids and stuff. And he's just like, I just, I'm ready to, ready to call it a day. And it was during a time where Sahaj was like planning tour dates for this upcoming tour. That's it's celebrating the 20 year anniversary of their first album. And then also promoting their new album, Intercorrupted, which you can stream and download everywhere. Fine music is available. 
And basically it was just right place, right time. That like, as he got to know me as a multi-instrumentalist and how serious I am about this and also spend enough time around me, like in the studio. And then also uh, in like kind of a party setting, I think he got the feel that I'm not some like dipshit rock star wannabe that gets too fucked up and gets starstruck and says stupid things or starts fights or whatever. So the combination of like being exposed to my skill set and then getting to know me as a person, I think led him to extend me the offer of what I thought initially was going to be just filling in for this tour, but I'm actually a full fledged member of the band raw now. Um, yeah. So I'm super excited about that and have been gearing up for this tour and we have in-person rehearsals starting right around the corner. And then, yeah, we have about 30 shows for this first leg of the tour that starts on the 18th in San Antonio. And we're going to, it's like Tucson, Phoenix, LA, Vegas, Boulder, Denver, St. Louis, Kansas city, just like all these different spots, six different cities in Texas. And then we'll have like a late summer run with tantric, which has not been officially announced yet. And then, um, breaking something, news. We're breaking, yes, news, breaking, breaking news. Yeah. And then, um, a run in October that, I'm not, I'm not going to say who it's with yet. Cause I'm really excited about it, but it might fall through. So, but there's going to be three big legs of this tour this year. And it's basically my dream coming true. So it's pretty fucking awesome to answer well, your question. I, yeah, I'm excited about that tantric pairing. I am actually a big fan of theirs. So I especially like the song morning, like the more acoustic. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. They had and breakdown, obviously very cool. Yeah. I was a huge days of the new fan. And oh, yeah. Yeah. when Travis, the lead singer, got addicted to meth, which kind of unlocked a lot of his personal demons. He, he basically fired the entire band after they exploded with that first album and tantric formed of the remnants of like days of the new continue just as Travis and then studio musicians. Uh, but everyone else formed tantric and they got a new singer and they put out some fantastic albums and they're still making music and we're all playing a fest. It's like raw tantric 10 years Nonpoint, Blacktop Mojo, and a bunch of other great bands are playing a music festival in northern Wisconsin. Hello. In August. And um, yeah, we're going to have tour dates that I don't know if it's going to end with that festival or start with that or, you know, that's in the middle or whatever. That's all. I don't plan any of that. But um, yeah, it's just super fucking cool to like be able to just do this on the road professionally with a band that I love with a, uh, you know, lead singer who I have incredible admiration for, um, you know, behind the scenes and leading a band and then get this opportunity to play with other bands that I've liked forever. And it's just, it's, it's fucking, it's fucking great, man. I'm, I'm pretty psyched about it. So two questions immediately spring to mind. One is I've heard of like guitar techs filling in for like the lead guitarist on like a day's notice and stuff sure. like that, but that's because yeah. they're with the band every single day and they yeah. know the different guitars. What's your first move when you get a job like this? Are you just hopping on Spotify right away and just playing along to every song? Like, how do you begin the process of mastering this catalog? So that is the first step, but then there is the caveat of like, well, I'm sure, you know, I mean, you're fanatical about many bands and like, I'm sure that third eye blind has songs that they end very differently or it turns into a jam session or it blends right into another song. Like it doesn't, it's not exactly what they do on the album or sometimes it's, you know, completely different. So it's start off with like, fortunately I'm already like super well-versed with the raw catalog. Cause it's just a band that I really like. Um, but then it's a matter of like getting the set list, getting access to any sort of live recordings that they have having like conversations over zoom. Cause like we're all spread out across the country right now and we're all meeting in San Antonio soon for rehearsals um, and talking about like, you know, how does this end? You know, there's uh, raw has certain songs that like fade out on the album. So like certain have jams, certain have like definitive endings, certain have like breakdowns and crowd interaction. There's going to be a part in the set where like I get off the drums and get on guitar and the lead singer gets on drums. So like, um, you know, figuring all that out is, a whole nother level on top of that. And then there is, um, there's like a whole, like most professional, but like if you're going to a, a, a legit venue and you're buying a ticket for a show and this is a signed touring band, there's a really good chance that they have production behind them, like pre-recorded tracks that have like intros to songs or strings, choir, electronic drums, like stuff that is not being performed on stage, which helps like really build out the thickness of what you're hearing. 
Um, but it's really important that the band plays perfectly in sync with what is pre-recorded because that's also synced up with the lights. Like when you see a really amazing light show, it's because that's perfectly synced up with like each, you know, particular downbeat or cut or drop or ending or whatever. Um, so that's all running through our in-ear monitors. And so, so yeah, to answer your question, it starts with just like getting intimately familiar with every single song album version and then learning the live versions and learning about like how it's synced up with the light show and what's happening in between songs and everything like that. So it's, it's been homework, but homework that I, I love. That's awesome. Second question I had is you mentioned 35 dates. So I've been on like just in advertising, I've done production shoots where it's like five, six, seven days. Yeah. I'm like wiped. I am wiped at the end of seven <laughs> days. And I get like some people like whoever, Beyonce or Ed Sheeran do world tours, but they're also right. multimillionaires who are, you know, flying private and staying yep. in Carlton's. Yep. Yep. Do you have to prepare yourself physically for like doing this kind of run or, or are you just, uh, just going for it? No, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm not, I'm not uh, spry enough to just go for it. So I've definitely been taking my health a lot more seriously. I've really been working on endurance. Like I'll pick a podcast and go to the gym and just do like stationary bike for an hour and a half at a, you know, elevated level. Um, drumming is very physical. I mean, oh all, God, I mean yeah, when I you're know. touring, everyone is moving around on stage, but drumming's like a different level. Yeah. And I think this, this is, we're not going to segue right now, but this, we're going to come back to this in terms of what's, what's good in live music and what's not. I fucking hate going to a show that I'm really excited about. And the drummer looks like inconvenienced to be there. Like he's bored. Um, it is a full body sport essentially. And you, I mean, rock and roll does not exist without drums and to, to be anything short of like at 110% when you're at a, a, a rock show and you're the drummer, I find unacceptable. So like I go all fucking out. I break sticks. I break cymbals. I've thrown up in my mouth a few times when I just get like, cause there's certain bands that I play in like where I like scream as like part of the vocal tracks <clears throat> when I drum. And um, you know, sometimes that just churns the bile a little bit. And um, yeah, it's like, I mean, I'm soaked in sweat when I'm done. Like I, I get fully into it. Um, so yes uh, endurance is, is certainly a consideration. I'm, I, I don't intend on living a kind of cliche rock lifestyle. I'm taking this very seriously as is everyone else in the band. But, um, I, I think that that could absolutely contribute to getting burnt out as if you're like, ah, oh, man, Tuesday night show, let's get blacked out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Terrible idea. Um, I, I totally had a misconception yeah. about that. So my original goal was to uh, write for Rolling Stone, as you know. So I, yes. I kind of moonlighted as a uh, entertainment writer in college and I got the opportunity to like interview the singer of fallout boy and the singer of motion city soundtrack. And I, my first move when interviewing them was always to like, try to get to like, what are the parties like, man? And like to a T, every singer I've ever interviewed was like, yeah, we did that the first tour and I lost my voice yeah. like a month into the tour. Yeah. Like I remember very specifically Patrick Stump from Fall Out Boy telling me like, I'm not in a limousine right now with hookers and blow, you know, like, <laughs> like I'm actually like sipping tea a lot of the time. It, it's only this, this image of the seventies of like the stones and Led Zeppelin and destroying hotel rooms. Yep. That's actually a very small segment of. I mean, you got to You got to take care of yourself on the road or the show is going to suffer. I would say that that is the case 90 to 95% of the time. And then there's bands like Pantera that were known for just getting fucking obliterated and still playing unbelievable shows. And I don't know if that's like, there's just something special about them. They build up a tolerance. It's not even a tolerance because they're fucked up, but it's like that gets them into their flow state or whatever. Um, I, for sure, like I refuse to, even if it's a show that I don't give a shit about, no one's there or whatever. Like I will not drink before a show. It just impairs my everything too much. Like my reaction time, my endurance, my, uh, um, just the amount that I sweat anything. Like it's just a terrible idea. Right. Um, right. so I like to be super sharp. Yeah. 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 That, rem that reminds me of the time I did sneak backstage at a third eye blind show. And I, Stephen Jenkins did also say that he has never had a drink before a show. And then like has like a wine or a tequila afterwards. So, like, uh, do you believe like, that? 
Yeah, I get the feeling he's he's not the kind of guy to put on airs. So I, I do believe that. Yeah. Do you remember? So I went to this comedy festival in San Francisco in 2017 or 18. You and I have known each other for a while, but I FaceTimed you from Third Eye Blind was playing this comedy festival for some reason. And oh, I remember I remember everything about this day, Dave. Actually, He was I, I, he was I a mess. You, yeah, yeah. I have a story for that. I know okay. what happened that day. Cause I, this is, I know this is crazy, but I follow like their daily activity for the most part. <laughs> okay, so at the sure. time he was like, uh, it, this is pre COVID obviously. And they're like, he was really proud of the fact third eye blind had never canceled the show. Yeah. And I guess he had come down like the day before some, I don't know. It was like the flu or a head cold or something where he had like basically lost his voice. And he talked about how he had a doctor like put some shot in his neck before he went out to do that show. Okay. And like, I'm glad he like kept the streak alive. But after hearing some of that performance and your other people witnessing it, like, dude, just just cancel the show if like you can no longer speak. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was it was brutal. Um, yeah. And that's got to be embarrassing. And and maybe part of it is just that, like, well, it's on a festival and we're not a headliner. So it's not that big of it. Like, we don't want to cancel, but also it doesn't need to be perfect. Um, but yeah, it was it is funny, not good. And he seemed, I mean, he seemed out of his mind, like, uh, drunk or coked up or something, but, um, I have yeah. seen one, yeah. another, one of my favorite artists like that, Adam Duritz, who is like clearly intoxicated and sang underneath the piano for 50 minutes. And I do like, have a little like physically got under the piano, <laughs> laid under the piano on stage. <laughs> I was going to save this for later, but like, I, I have a little counting crows segment coming up as a band okay. who's been great live and who has like delivered maybe one of the worst performances I've ever seen live. Oh, wow. So it's just that they've, they've really uh, kind of traveled that gamut, but I want to put a bow on the, on the raw stuff and then move on to some other topics we had. Just, just real want- quick, real quick, just yeah. for your millions of listeners, yeah. rawband.net or just check out raw on it's RA uh, on Facebook or whatever tickets available for shows all over the Midwest or like Southern Midwest, all over Texas, Southwest and, and, uh, California. Uh, but really excited to already, I've had friends and family already reaching out. Um, you know, they're getting tickets and they're going to be at the show. It's just very surreal. And I, I feel very, uh, fortunate that this is happening. Yeah. That's awesome. No, I did. I did one more question. Uh, any particular dates or that you're looking forward to or venues? Yeah. Uh, two of them. Uh, one is the bluebird in Denver. I saw incubus there. It's really cool for me to look at all of these venues and see the like, um, alumni essentially. It's very cool to be playing at a a venue where like bands that you fucking absolutely love and admire have played there and like have played there, you know, at the peak or maybe, you know, whatever, like, it's not just, Hey, when they were a local band, they played her. Like I saw Incubus there fucking 15 years into their career. And, um, I don't know, maybe that doesn't mean as much to other people, but like, to me, that's like a serious feather in my cap just to be playing at the same venue that I saw. I think that's an incredible band. And then fan here, by the way. Oh God. So good. Front to back. Incredible album. And then, uh, May 31st playing at the whiskey in LA. That's just a legendary venue. And it's um, just incredible that we're, we get to play. That's just, uh, it, that's blowing my mind that, that, we're, that we're playing there. So I did just see, I got a little yellow triangle here saying we have 10 minutes left on this Zoom. What's this fucking amateur hour shit that you're sending me? I don't know why, because we recorded using the same, my same account last time. And we, we podcasted for an hour and a half, which people should go check out. It's on. The we Twitter. should. Absolutely. Um, are you, out, we'll just go back in and do another one. Yeah. Are you signed? Well, whatever. Okay. Whatever. Yeah. I don't. Yes. <laughs> we'll do it. So best and worst show experience. I kind of touched on it with my counting crows example, but okay. if you, if you have a personal example or, you know, just in your mind, like what makes a concert great versus what is a big disappointment? Why don't we start with that and then dive into specific examples. And I'm, I don't mean to generalize here, but I would say the overwhelming majority of music consumers and fans and and everything are more in line with you in terms of musical capabilities, I guess, um, as opposed to me. Um, Having no musical capability. (laughs) 
<laughs> just just in the fact that they're not like uh, either like, uh, you know, lifelong musicians, professional musicians, touring musicians, something that they do for a job, uh, have like a deep, deep level understanding of composition. It's more so just like the overwhelming majority of, of music fans like music because of how it makes them feel, what they associate with it, whether it, it aligns with an image that they like. Um, the vast majority of people care the most about the singer, um, you know, catchiness, the beat, things like these are things that, you know, they can't really articulate specifics as to why it's catchy or why this is a good beat they just know that they like it when they like it so i think that that's an important consideration when talking about what makes you know music being good is super subjective but like understanding the level of musical comprehension that goes along with that opinion is uh important context and i try to keep that in mind as well when i'm trying to understand other people's opinions of like what i do or if they don't like something that you know something that i love or whatever so same thing with live is that if you have no idea what goes into a live production or how difficult it is to perform, especially complicated music well live and to make it sound good live, which has a lot more to do with than just the band playing it. Um, that doesn't stop you from having an opinion about whether or not it's a good show. So I just think that that's, that's important context there. Um, but for me, I think the key elements, I think there's three key elements. One is the band. Um, just in terms of like, do, are they actually good musicians together and live? Because you can make a studio album that requires the band not playing together and it's incredibly overproduced and edited and it just doesn't translate live at all. So like, is it a, a band that actually has true chemistry and it translates well to the stage and they're all, you know, basically professional in terms of well-practiced and ready to go and super energetic and everything that you want out of the band. But then the other two key components is the venue. Um, you could see the fucking greatest band, like the Foo Fighters could sound like dog shit if you see them in a basement. Um, Cause you have sound bouncing off of concrete and dead spots and um, you know, any legit venue that you go to is specifically built and enhanced with, sound delivery in mind and then the third thing is kind of the combination of those two is the guy in between is the sound guy the guy working the soundboard who's setting the levels for every microphone every instrument every single individual drum of the drum set um and balancing out like what you hear just from like if you're standing by the stage if you're front row at a show you hear the actual band like when it when the guitar player or when the singer's singing you can actually hear the vocals coming out of his throat but then also you can hear it coming out of the speakers, which is what the rest of the venue is hearing. So like balancing those three things together is I think the, you know, magic equation for what makes a good or bad show. Would you add anything to that? I have one and it's not even taking place on stage. I have, I have developed this theory over many years and because it's my theory, I subscribe to it a hundred percent. I would say like the, uh, I, I don't know to put an exact percentage on it, but how the crowd is reacting to the yes. music yes. plays such a massive role in whether I'm having a great time or not. And I have a couple examples of that. So the first time I ever saw Noel Gallagher was at the Riverside, a small venue in Milwaukee. And there was like a couple of groups of people from England, obviously Noel Gallagher, the mastermind behind Oasis. Yeah. And it, it was a, it was definitely not full. I don't know if it was half full or something like that. Let's it's say like a two, what, two 2,500 yeah. person. Venue? Yeah. No? And let's okay. say there was like a thousand to 1500 people there max, okay. but they were like, people were losing their mind. Like, and it was so much fun. I think I was in like the eighth or ninth row or something like that. Everyone around me is singing along to every single song, yeah. you know, on their 10th beer, just having the time of their life. And I remember <laughs> leaving that show being like, this is one of the best shows I've ever seen. Yes. So he doesn't come to the U.S. that much. So I got the chance to see him again in Nashville at, speaking of great venues, the Ryman. Yeah. Actually, oh, my God. Yeah, that's an incredible yeah, venue. Yeah. Drove down to Nashville, like expecting this exact same experience. And like the venue itself is amazing. But I, the crowd was just, it was basically listless unless he was playing like a hit song. Yeah. And it like, I don't, technically he was the same. But just the way that crowd was interacting with the music, like I enjoyed my experience in Milwaukee so much more. So I couldn't agree more that that is an absolutely critical component. And then I would take it a step further, especially with someone like Noel. I'm willing to bet that he picked up on that shittiness. Like 
you get like you get what you give kind of thing like a band feeds off of a crowd going absolutely nuts and if they're singing every lyric and like crowd participation and going ape shit in between songs or whatever but also the the exact opposite is also true um i'm willing to bet given his attitude and disposition that he was less than thrilled about yeah yeah yeah, yeah. fuck these yankees (laughs) Uh, which is really unfortunate because the ryman is literally like i would say top 10 venues in the country like that's yeah, a legendary legendary to yeah. say that i did it yeah yeah legendary, it, legendary. it's the same deal anyone who listens to this podcast knows you get a lot of third eye blind references but uh so i've been i've seen them over 20 times and it's because i they always play chicago and then they play Summerfest in milwaukee so i get to cheat and see them twice on back-to-back nights and with universally i enjoy seeing them in chicago more because it's the headlining tour I love being in the pit surrounded by people who are singing every lyric to every deep cut. And when I go to Summerfest in Milwaukee, I sit there, the crowd is silent until the last song when Semi-Charm Life is played. And it's like the, the band is technically the same for the most part. But like you said, they're feeding off the crowd in Chicago more. I'm meeting strangers and becoming friends. I love yeah. that aspect of concerts. Yeah. And at Summerfest, it's like, yeah, I remember them. They were on the radio in 97. Let's go. Exactly. Uh, so that's a huge, yeah. that's a huge um, consideration. And also so festivals is a whole different beast because you literally have people coming to shows. Cause it's like in, it's geographically convenient. It's in between they're waiting 30 minutes for the next band that they want to see. They're like, Oh yeah, I remember the do 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 song. Let's go and hope that they play it. Yeah. That's a fucking wet blanket for everyone. And because of the other factors that I said, like, festivals are notoriously shitty for like, it's just literally like a metal rectangle set up in a field and you just cross your fingers for the best sound. You have like delay and everything that sucks. Um, and then with the festival, you know, inevitably the overwhelming majority of the bands aren't the headliners. So there's just like a certain energy that comes with when you were playing a show in a venue that was built for music and the people who are at that show are specifically there to see you because they, they are your fans and they love your music a hundred percent of the time that's going to be a better show than oh it's a 3 p.m time slot at Lollapalooza, and i don't want to walk to the other side of millennium park and yeah yeah so totally that's a that's a huge factor for sure are you familiar with the band gaslight anthem uh, i'm not i am aware of them but not familiar no okay but th- this just goes to the topic but so i've only had the chance to see them one time but sure. and i thought it'd be okay because they were the second band not the opener but the second band opening for rise against and one, yeah. I thought that was a, t- it ended up being a terrible pairing. And that's another, th- that's another important consideration. Yeah, is it was the, like, is that, oh, yeah. it's yeah. such a bummer. I was so excited to see them. I'm like, I really was just going to see Gaslight Anthem. Yep. And like, I thought they were spectacular, but it's weird to be the only person jumping around screaming. And so I kind of right. like kept it in and then yep. went nuts for Rise Against. And I left like halfway through. No offense to Rise Against. I do yep. like a lot of their music. So a band that I was really excited to see because I like, this is early two thousands. I'd listened to them so much actually had discovered them before when they were on an indie label, it was Chevelle is the band. And like before they had, um, that baby, the, the red, um, uh, they had this awesome independent album that came out and they sound a lot like tool. Like if tool was a garage band kind of thing. Um, so boring, so unbelievably like, and they're playing this like super, heavy, awesome, energetic music, but they just all looked so fucking bored. And I've seen them multiple times and it's always been like that. And um, the band is different now, like the lineup's different, but like for the first half of their career, it was it's three brothers. And I don't know if that was like a drama thing. Like they there was like some personal issue that none of them were like enjoying being there or they're just like bored looking gentlemen. But like, if you're putting on a fucking rock show, like, it's not just like, might as well just push play on the fucking CD and we'll just sit down and have a beer. But like performing the music is just as important as the music itself. That's, I, I think that's a fair statement. Um, so that was, they, I mean, they sounded good, but they were just so incredibly boring to watch. Um, the worst s- sounding band I ever saw was Cage the Elephant. Do you remember that? The ain't no rest for the wicked. Yeah, I remember that from the don't. first Borderlands. Borderlands, game. exactly. The song that played every time you logged in. Yeah. Um, they played that song. And even when they were playing that song that I'd heard 50 times, I had no idea. I had to ask the person next to me, like, what fucking band is this? And I 
asked because they were opening up for Stone Temple Pilots. And I was like, like, that's a huge opportunity. So like, I'm amazed that I don't know who this band is. And they're like, oh, it's Cage the Elephant. And then I checked the ticket. And it was, I mean, gar- garbage, dude. Fucking, t- I don't know how that song came to life in the studio, but like, holy shit, they were terrible. They're, they, they, yep, garbage. Um, yeah, I think. And I've seen countless amazing shows, but those are the two that really stick out to me for sure. Oh, I did see uh, um, Queens of the... <laughs> Queens of the Stone Age opened up for Nine Inch Nails in 2005. And Rob has seen a very magical photo that I took with the lead singer backstage from that show. But in the middle of a song, he literally, he was so hammered. He stopped. and I don't know the context of what was happening in the crowd, but he stopped. He's like, look at this faggot right here. Put a light on this fucking faggot. And just like, was like, he like stopped the whole show. He's like, I don't care what anyone's doing. This guy's a faggot. And I was just like, it was like, I felt this overwhelming sense of awkwardness. that was kind of just like spreading over the entire crowd and it obviously killed the momentum of the whole show. And um, I ended up getting backstage passes because I won tickets to that show for like, a, uh, there was like a Nine Inch Nails remix contest that 1021 um, was hosted and I won. And um, yeah, he was the first person that I recognized when I got back there because he's like nine feet tall and has red hair. And I went up to him. And I was like, hey, man, that was a good show. And he just looked at me like he didn't even understand English. And he was pulling vodka straight out of the bottle. And I said, hey, uh, what kind of vodka is that? And he takes a big swig and he, he like, I'm 6'3". So he bends down to talk to me and he goes, does it fucking matter? I was like, OK. <laughs> and I just pivot real quick, took a selfie. And you can see it on his face that he so desperately hopes that I wander into traffic and die. Um, but yeah, that was a that was a fun time for sure. Wow, good. <laughs> that reminds me. You know, we were we were touching on a little bit earlier that uh, a lot of artists don't drink. They don't before a show. I mean, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they are focused on delivering. You know, a, a good performance. Yep. I'm just curious. Have you ever seen a, a couple examples spring to mind? There was a show from Creed. I believe it was at the United Center in Chicago okay. that uh, fans actually demanded a refund and got it. It was right before Scott Stapp went into rehab. Like he was so <laughs> remember um, lyrics. Like it's easy to imagine something like that happening at like a smaller club, but sure. like a stadium show for sure. 18,000 people blow my mind. Yeah. Yeah. Kings of Leon had a similar situation. Oh, really? Their singer checked into rehab. Okay. And I watched the Amy Winehouse documentary and there's a couple of shows that are like literally painful to watch because she's so clearly on something that she can't perform. Like, have you ever seen anything remotely close to those examples? Um, Maybe the, maybe this Queens of the Stone Age is is pretty close to that. That's definitely part of it. I I saw Stone Temple Pilots on their reunion tour, which was unfortunately their last tour because Scott Weiland overdosed and died but they were headlining rock on the range in Columbus, Ohio. And they came on 45 minutes late. Like, you know, how they lower the lights right before the band comes on. It was like that for 45 minutes and people were getting real restless. And this is after like a whole, you know, seven and a half hour long day out in the sun. And um, they come out and the first song that they play is uh, creep, which is just like, I mean, they've been broken up for like a decade and there's all this 10, 40 or 45 minutes to come out on stage. And then they come out and they start with just like the, I'm half the man I used to just like such not a good kickoff song for the show. And it kind of, it was infectious in a, in a, in a bad way. Like it, it killed the delay plus the, and that was the, that was the very first, like this was the reunion tour. And this was the first show of the reunion tours. They're just all this anticipation and for them to just start with such a fucking wet fart uh, kind of ruined the whole show. But I can't think of anyone that was just flat out. Like you're honestly, that third eye blind show was the most discombobulated I've seen uh, a singer in, in like a professional context. I've seen plenty of local bands where they're like, I, I think he admittedly yeah. he was on drugs. It's just, they yeah, weren't yeah, like yeah, the, yeah. the recreational fun kind that sure. yeah, 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 <laughs> probably yeah. should have been. All right, hit me with this love it or leave it. All right, love it or leave it. So you have not seen these topics ahead of time. So I'm getting unfiltered Dave Perry. I will try to give a little example just to give you a second, you know, to think about it. 
Um, so the, so these are going to be nine topics that you will love it or leave it. And they all have to do with live music. Okay. So first is on stage props. And my first example of that is I saw Sugar Ray again at the United Center. <laughs> and this was like a little bit after their fame had subsided. So I okay. think they're trying to kind of reach for a gimmick, okay. but they had a bar, like a fully stocked bar on stage with a live bartender who, while, you know, they were playing like a 45 minute set, but like Mark McGrath would like order a hurricane or do a shot of tequila or something. And they actually had like a working bartender on stage with them. That's a pretty elaborate prop, I would say, but, uh, any, that's, anything? that's profoundly lame. That's so that's like, that's so not enjoyable for anyone. You're leaving it. Yeah. You know, oh, I'm hard leaving. I'm leaving that example, but uh, I went to a corn concert where Rob Zombie opened up and he had like 35 foot flame breathing killer robots that like came out from the side of this. I mean, huge, like the size of small office buildings, massive flamethrowers coming out of their uh, mouths. And um, he also had like zombie strippers and stuff like that. Um, but there was just like a whole like a set and aesthetic to it. Um, yeah, that, that cool. yeah, that was, I mean, it, it was, it's over the, that's, that's his brand. Like it's super over the top, uh, like cinematic, almost campy, but like it, it definitely added to the show. So I would say the, the bar and bartender thing sounds so like self-indulgent, but something that's a like single a single called bartender. That was like their lead single off this album. <laughs> uh, but I just like, I just want to point out my example was sugar Ray and your example was corn. And I think that's just and like Rob Zombie. Yes. Yes. <laughs> of our, of our musical taste. Hold on, dude. Hold on. I've seen Coldplay, Nickelback, Duncan Sheik, Vanessa Carlton. Uh, <laughs> I've seen a lot of like much uh, Ben. I've seen Ben. I've probably seen Ben folds more than any other artist at all. Not even close. So don't you fucking put me <laughs> in a box, bro. Not saying you're not sensitive. <laughs> um, so over, were- I'm going to take, I'm going to take it. I'm going to take props. You're gonna as, love it. I'm going to love it as long as. Yeah, it's it got to be to the show. like it's got to be yeah, tastefully done. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, like, yeah. I saw uh, Fall Out Boy after their album Folly Ado came out, and they they entered like before they entered Riot Police came out, and it just had to do like the way the Riot Police were like hitting their shields was like the way the first song of the drum started, yeah. and then you never saw them again. Like I thought it probably would have been weird and bad if they just had Riot Police constantly on stage, but for like a little fifteen second intro, that seemed cool. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Anyway, next topic, love it or leave it, music on boats. So rock cruises and other <laughs> types of cruises seem to be getting bigger and bigger all the time. <laughs> yeah. And I actually had won a cruise with uh, Sugar Ray and Collective Soul and Marcy Playground and a bunch of 90s rock bands. Yeah, I remember online. that. I remember the moment, not even the day, the moment that you won that. Uh, it was one of those things in social media me. where it was like you entered every day. You know, it, it increased yeah. your chances. I was entering every day for a month. And then, so won this cruise, got the announcement. And then like the next day, a carnival cruise, like I don't forget where it was, but like broke down in the middle of the sea and all the toilets failed. (laughs) And it just became known as the poop cruise. Yes. The poop cruise. Three days later, my cruise was canceled. So I am, I'm out on cruises right now. Just, just from that experience, where do you stand? You're, I mean, you're out on cruises as a whole. Uh, just uh, music on boats in general. Okay. Okay. Well, you, but you didn't even get to go on. You didn't even get I'm, to experience I'm the music. I'm angry on the boat. and bitter. You are. You really are. Uh, I'm gonna go love it. Uh, I've gone on Shiprocked twice, and uh, Ra has actually performed on Shiprock. And Sahaj from Ra performed this last year um, that I went, and I'm really hoping that we get to perform together on there uh, in January this upcoming year. It's an incredibly well done tour, and to like the things that we were talking about, like the things that make a good show. Holy shit. The people on that boat on the passion is unbelievable. Like instant community, like you're friends with everyone that you're surrounded with because part of it is just the investment that, you you know, it's like 2000 bucks or something to go on that cruise. But like these people are hardcore in a great way. And there's like a huge community sense that goes with that. So like that is the only experience that I have with, music on boats other than like, you know, I live in Austin and, and going out on the water on the weekends is big. So like you could, you might be bumping some Jay-Z or something on the, on the pontoon stereo, but 
on like a large level music cruises. Love it. Do you remember me? I, I feel like music cruises came out of nowhere. I don't remember in like early two thousands them being popular. I, the first time I heard of one, I'm like, that seems like a ridiculous idea. And then like Weezer had one, Paramore yeah. had one, Matchbox 20 had one. There's hard rock. There's Bob Marley. Yeah, the like, 80s hair metal bands. Yeah, exactly. Now. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, dude, I mean, if, if there's a demand for it and people buy tickets for it and if it sounds good, like if they actually put on good shows, like, and the shows on Shiprocked are, they're full. I mean, they full, like, lights pyrotechnics you know the steam fucking like everything that you would want from a uh a normal legit rock show they have there but then also you can like go play shuffleboard with the lead singer of lamb of god <laughs> and then go get a pizza at 3 a.m yeah, yeah, yeah it yeah, actually so. sounds it sounds pretty cool yeah. i'm, I'm gonna sure get you on one fun. when I, when raw plays next year you and your lady come on the cruise it'll be great it'll be so magical all right we're there Okay, good. All right, this is this is a hot topic now. Okay. Changing your hit song. So changing what the, the version that's on the recording oh. when you perform it live, do you change it to I think the most obvious example of this is like Dave Matthews band. What may be a five minute song on the album becomes a 13 minute song. Or again, to Counting Crows, the band I love and hate. They will not ever play Mr. Jones the way it's on the record. He will change the lyrics. He will change the melody. For me, I'm leaving it because one of my main enjoyments of going to a show is singing along. Like I have a terrible voice and no musical ability. But when the music is so loud and you're in the concert, it feels like you're a rock star when you're singing along. Agreed. That's I love doing that. So like if I'm singing along, then the melody changes or there's an 18 minute violin solo. It just like takes me out of the moment. Interesting. Uh, I'm conflicted. And in fact, I, I almost see those as two different things. So there's one that's like j jamming on the song, which is still changing it, no doubt. But you could like play Ants Marching exactly the way it is. But the end of the song has a, you know, 10 minute yeah, sax that, that solo kind different. of thing. Yeah. yeah. And then there's just straight up like, we're going to change the key or I'm going to just like barely sing it and, you know, to hold the microphone out to the crowd or change. Um, I'm going to, I'm cool with jams. In fact, I like them because it's cool to hear songs that I love in different versions in that context, especially if it's a band like Dave Matthews is a, they're known for their like technical proficiency. But if I saw green day and they did like a seven minute jam on warning, I'd be like, ah, not really your thing. Please don't do that. Um, so love it for jams, leave it for, um, I guess if like you don't want to play it, you know, like I think Pearl Jam is pretty adverse to playing Jeremy. Radiohead very rarely plays Creep. Um, just don't play it, I guess. Um, I, I guess I'd rather you just not play it than like do a version. Because sometimes I feel like bands do what you're saying as like a fuck you. Like, okay, whatever. This is what pays the bills and keeps us. But I'm, we're doing it our way. We're not, this isn't a dance monkey dance kind of thing. Um you know, we're doing this for us, not for you. And it's like, well, fuck you, man. Like we all paid money to come here and support you. So I'll either I'm not saying it's a dance monkey dance thing, but it's don't be disrespectful to the people that literally made your career. I agree with that. Good. All right. Next one. Love it or leave it. Sex appeal as a main draw for your show. Hard, hard, hard leave. Um, I really hate that a lot, um, in all genres, including pop, like, um, it's very annoying to me. Um, I think even like, and this is, I know we're talking about live music, but just in general, like with social media, you look, just look up drum videos. You could look up like, um, whatever in bloom, my Nirvana cover drum cover. I guarantee you could have like an incredible studio musician plays it perfectly and has this unbelievable solo. And then there's a very mediocre woman with a super low cut top on. And that one has like 800 times the views, just this general sense of like, I want to fuck this person that I'm never even going to talk to in my life. Therefore I'm more interested in the art form to me is so antithetical to what you're creating in the first place that it's like almost insulting. Um, 
I really hate it a lot. I, I was thinking more along the lines of, for whatever reason, like on TikTok or YouTube, I keep getting sent like a lot of, uh, or in my feed is a lot of Harry Styles videos. Okay. And, uh, you know, the music's okay, I guess. And I, I, I can certainly understand why people would like just the music. He's got a good voice. Just watching the live performance, it seems to be like how many, uh, you know, how many uh, buttons are undone in his shirt. And like, it, it feels like the Beatles again, like you see women like fainting and screaming and, and panting in the audience. And it just seems like if it was a 300 pound man <laughs> up there singing, like, I don't think they're there for the music. You know what I mean? But I think it, well, two, two things there. One, the, the Beatles certainly were not known for, or they're not like sex appeal. Isn't the, they certainly like, draw yeah you had like hit some nerve in society and so did elvis but like those are also like legit musicians and songwriters so like the, while there is this like incredible passion and like female following for those bands i don't think that that's the same thing as harry styles um but with the um oh fuck i forgot what was the other thing that you brought up um totally blank and fucked sex, up the sex appeal on stage yeah, it, it, it escapes me. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, he was in um, One Direction, right? Yeah, yeah. Another like, I, th type I think they're like, oh, oh, this is this is the other one. So a major exception is Ed Sheeran. And like, I have heard Ed Sheeran himself say, like, I'm not yeah. an attractive guy. Yeah, that's why God gave me a voice. Yeah, yeah. but the first time that I was already familiar with Ed Sheeran when I heard. What's it called? I'm in love with your body. Shape oh, of you. Wow. Shape of you. Yeah. Yeah. So the first time I heard that, I didn't know that that was Ed Sheeran. And then like, I'm still very perplexed that like he could have like written that song and sold it to like Maroon five or something. And it would have been a huge fucking hit. It is. There's, it creates cognitive dissonance to see like Susan Boyle singing about getting railed or something, you know, like, so it's, it's a little weird, so, but, but, you know, I, um, I don't know. It's, it just shouldn't be, it's, that shouldn't be the focal point of music. You can have songs about sex and passion and, and, and whatever else, but of like the, the sex appeal of the individual is like the main thing that drives their career. It's, uh, you have a very hard time getting on board with that. Yeah. I think it, you know, obviously it can ex accentuate it if you're into the music first. Like I'll give an example. Like I, I, I've always liked the band Paramore, especially very early on sure. when they're in the yeah. emo punk rock phase. Yeah. And uh, I remember seeing them at Summerfest and it was like, like Haley Williams, I think your name. Yeah. Haley Williams. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Like it is like very cute. Um, but just like, God, I loved watching her on stage, not just because of her, you know, she's cute, but it's like, she was so into the music. She was so energetic, like sure. flying from side to side. Like, I think she's all five one yeah. and just like commanded the stage and had the audience eating out of her hand. And I'm yeah. like, this makes like a great live show. Like, regardless of what she looks like, I love Paramore, but it sure. like it just added to like the live performance. And I think regardless of what anyone looks like when they have like passion for what they're doing and they're and they're really into it and they're really good at it like that makes someone attractive whether it's music or whatever they're doing yeah completely agreed all right this is an this is another one i really am interested in getting your opinion on okay so the cover songs in the set not a cover song mind you that was like on an album that people are expecting like oh, okay. Okay. blue monday right okay but just like hey we're playing our favorite stone song tonight, baby. Here you go. Yeah. And I'm leaving it in most situations. Okay. And I, the one example I give is green day. So I've only seen green day twice Okay. and they have such a monster catalog and I, I may never see green day again for the rest of my life. I don't know. Like I want to hear some deep cut from insomniac way more than they covered. Uh, I want to rock and roll all night. And it's like, you just wasted four minutes of my life. Like I've heard rock and roll all night, like a million times uh, <laughs> against, my, against my will. Like, I don't want to hear Green Day perform that song. You guys only get 23 songs or whatever it is. Yeah. And like, just give me a deep cut from Insomniac or, yeah. or you know, give me another cut from American Idiot, something yeah. like that. Don't give me a Kiss song. 
Interesting. Okay. So I think it depends on the band. And if they make the song their own, um, Foo Fighters have always played covers. Um, not maybe not always, but for the last 10 years, every single time I've seen them, not only have they played covers, but then like Dave gets on the drums and Taylor RIP would get up and they would sing like queen songs, um, or they would do like under pressure. And like, it was awesome. Like if you are going to see that band, because like you, you follow them for a long time and you like respect their musicianship. Um, and they're going to do a song, like a cover song where they like jam it out or like switch things up or whatever. And it's good. I'm all for it. Um, but again, like I was, I not knowing that you were going to talk about green day here. I was just talking about green day before in the same way that I don't want to see green day do like a jam. I don't want to see them do a cover like that. So it's circumstantial, but in general, if I'm going to see a band, I'm already assuming that it's going to be good. So if my assumption correct is that the show is good, then I assume that the cover will be good. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to say, I love it. There's been, there's certainly been bad examples, but I'm a fan. But your, your Foo Fighters example, you'd rather hear their cover than like some song off of color and shape you haven't heard in 15 years. So no, I, I would rather hear like, Hey, Johnny Park, but also I have so much respect for them that I appreciate the fact that like, this is what they want to do and they're doing it well. Um, so yeah, I guess in, in that sense, if I had the option of like hearing a deep cut and that's specifically what it would be, it would be a deep cut, not like, Oh, you didn't play like the best of you or something. Like I it's, if it was a choice between a song that they normally don't play, that's their song or cover song, then a hundred percent of the time I would do song that they, you know, deep cut normally that they don't play. Um, but I also, am not like, Oh, playing a cover. Fuck you. You're wasting my time. I, I don't get like pissed off when a band plays a cover, but yes, I, I completely agree that I would rather hear a deep cut at that time. Awesome. All right. I got two left for you. Hit me. The expected encore. So the band has not played its biggest hit yet. They say, good night. Thank you for coming. There is two minutes of darkness and the crowd cheers. One more song, one more song. And then the band inevitably comes out. Wouldn't we all, I'm leaving it because wouldn't we all be better served by like using that two minutes for some more music or yes, just pretending yes. ending this fucking charade? Come on. Yeah. So that's what the Foo Fighters do. And he's very clear about it. He's like, we're going to play three hours of rock and roll tonight. And we're not doing this fake encore bullshit. So I have a ton of respect for that. If you are going to do an encore, don't have it be your biggest fucking song. That's super trite. Like do that in your main set. And then even if you end up doing an encore every night, like that should be like extra. Stuff. Yeah. It's like extra icing on the cake. Right. So like, okay, you, you play your main song before the encore. So if like fair weather fans are like, Oh, cool. We saw the fucking ants marching time to go. Um, yeah. It's like, a, it's like a, almost like behind the scenes kind of thing. It's like an extra treat for those who really want it. So don't have it be your number one single. I think that that is um, just kind of cliche theatrical bullshit. So in, and in general, that is what usually happens. So I'm going to, I'm going to leave it as well. I think this is the first one we agreed on in terms of love it or yeah, leave it. Yeah. But that's all right. You know, conflict. That's sure. what makes it. <laughs> Absolutely. Fuck you. All right. Last one. It's an audience question. Mm. A question for being an audience member. Okay. Love it or leave it. The fans who show up just for the headliner. interesting i've changed on this i've started as a love it i i mean in high school if they're if i'm paying 40 bucks to see three bands yeah when 40 bucks to me meant like 300 bucks yeah like i want to get i was all about like i'm getting my money's worth i'm going to support this artist i'm probably going to get their cd i'm going to see the whole thing agreed and i think just as a function of uh getting older because we're we're old as hell now <laughs> it's just like, yeah, uh, my friends can't make out of work till this time. We wanted to go out to dinner, get some drinks, you know, I'm sorry, but I don't, I've never heard of this opener and yeah. we're, we're just going to see X band. So sure. I'm going to go see them. Do you think that, so just kind of in the terms of like what we were talking about before with like audience enthusiasm level, and I guess even just attendance has an impact on the show. Um, is that kind of what you're talking about? Like the impact that it has on the show that there's only like one tenth of the people there that will be there for the headliner or just 
you're saying that in general as fans, like they should Again, be my, there. My mindset has changed on this, but I do remember like going to my first couple shows and being a teenager and yeah. maybe into my early twenties. I just thought it was like disrespectful. I don't feel that way anymore, but it felt disrespectful. Like the opening bands playing inevitably, like the house lights are still up. Yep. People are talking over the music. They're yep. not cheering when the songs end. they're just getting drinks. They barely even acknowledge that like, this could be this person's big break. They're up there pouring their heart out. <laughs> That's how I took it at the time, right? Yep. Like, yep. I'm going to be there to like support them and not, it would, just, you wouldn't ever do that to a speaker, right? Exactly. You be like, well, this isn't the speaker I came to see. So I'm just right. going to talk as loud yeah. as possible <laughs> with my friend and turn my back to them. Yeah. But yeah. it's totally fine. It's totally acceptable for opening acts. Yeah. That is bullshit. I don't like that. I would rather you just not show up than show up and be disrespectful. Um, I think another thing that a lot of people don't realize that it's, it's not just like a random happenstance, like, oh, I guess this random band is opening up. Like, usually, if it's a big enough artist, they hand selected their opener. Um, so it's super disrespectful to the band that you love to be disrespectful to the opener. And at the very least, it's like in the same genre or they're on the same label or something. So chances are that you're gonna somewhat like what is before the opener because it's related to or, or for the headliner because it's related to the headliner. I went to a Megadeth concert once and this band Earshot opened for them. And I don't know the specifics about how they wound up on that tour, whether Megadeth selected them or they're on the same label or management or something, but Megadeth is more than big enough to be hand selecting their, their own band. But I swear to God, from the second the band walked out, uh, the opener, the entire front row was both middle fingers up for every second of every song and if every pause in the music or in between songs was just this roaring, like, fuck you, get off the stage. And it's like, so incredibly disrespectful. And I'm sure those guys are like hardcore Megadeth fans. It's like, you're, it's, it's insulting to the band that you claim to love so much. And I think that that doesn't register to a lot of people. So it's either don't show up and I don't really blame you because you bought tickets for that headliner. Um, so don't show up and be disrespectful. So either don't show up or show up and be respectful. So I, I agree with you. I'm going to, I'm going to leave it. All right. I got two wild cards that didn't Ooh. fit in any category. Let's do it. <laughs> you ready for the wild card round? Yeah. Love it. All right. So again, this is audience question. Uh, what is the best way to attend a show? And I'm calling this relatively sober. So <laughs> rel like you're, you've had a couple beers or whatever, uh, you know, a joint, whatever. Uh, but you're, you know, you're perfectly capable of, of communicating versus out of your mind, uh, psychedelics, wh whatever, like, what is the best, the best way to attend a show? <laughs> Do you remember going to rock the green, uh, in Milwaukee and we were drinking, that was me out of my mind. Do you remember what we were drinking that night and what we were drinking it out of? I, yeah, because that's began the night. So cake vodka, I, well, I don't remember out of a water bottle or something. Birth, birthday cake vodka out of empty Coke cans. Uh, so we could pull, that was take a it. Great night. I had a great time. I remember that. I had a great time. I, this is embarrassing, but I had sex in a porta john that night at the, uh, <laughs> at the show. That, that yeah. was relayed to me like 10 seconds after it happened. <laughs> You love third eye blind uh, shows too. That was a third eye blind show. <laughs> Absolutely. I vividly remember that in between bands over the PA, there was a Jay-Z song playing and you were like, holy shit. Jay like Jay-Z is performing I he was here. Like there. I, I, I texted people. <laughs> we like, were I'm at a Jay-Z show right now. We, you and I were hammered. And while the, like, it's a fun story, it's not good for like the enjoyment of the show no because i don't um, remember anything about that yeah exactly but i i, I want to give us credit it's yeah. hard to hit that level of intoxication one without passing out or two without like getting sick in some way okay. but I, was, <laughs> I was entirely like functional i remember getting home fine or like at least wound up in my bed fine but uh yeah it's just hard to like achieve that perfect equilibrium yeah, absolutely. Nailed it, baby. And I think that that's why we need to be sponsored by Three Olives Birthday Cake Vodka because we are huge fans of their quality product that allows you to get blackout drunk, uh, but still be like a functional human. And like no one got hurt that night and we had fun. And yeah, good times. 
Earth yeah, that, wasn't, that was an awesome time. Uh, but, but in general, I'm going to say leave it because it's not a good way to experience the music. And inevitably, you're probably being fucking obnoxious to the people around you that are actually there for the music. So I'm sure I've been guilty of that. And I've certainly been around people who are guilty of that. So leave it. We agree. So I have one story about this. So I saw Mumford and Sons at the Cole Center here in Madison. Okay. That's their, their big uh, hockey slash basketball stadium. So oh, yeah. I saw Foo Fighters there. So we were not aware. We, we, so we went out to dinner, whatever. I had maybe one cocktail, but I was like, well, I'll just get a couple of beers at the show. Well, I didn't realize that even though it wasn't a University of Wisconsin-Madison event, they yep. do not serve any alcohol at the Cole Center. That is true. And I remember it was, it was weird. It's funny how you get just used to certain patterns because I was like in a panic the first 15 minutes. I'm like, there's got to be a vendor around here somewhere. I'm like running around the hallways and it's like all like, do you want a $3 Pepsi? I'm yeah. like, no, I'll pay anything for like you go a in the men's room. Yeah. You yeah. in the men's room is like, who's got a flask? Who's yeah. got a flask? Uh, agreed. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was glad I was forced into that because I, I it's got to be in like my top 10 concerts of all time. Like, it was actually fun. One, I never had to take a bathroom break during the show. That was definitely a first. Yeah, that's a normally thing for I'm sure. taking about three during some kind of concert. That's certainly a thing. I'm yeah. really getting after it. So I was able to stay in my seat the whole show and then yeah. remember like every single detail about it, which was okay. awesome. Yeah. Okay. But, but I think there's a perfect equilibrium. equilibrium. Yes. Yeah. Get a little loosened up three or four yeah, beers, exactly. you know, yeah. like it, and that, that helps you like get kind of physically yeah. into it. And you're singing a little louder, but you're not being an asshole and you remember the show and everything. So yeah, I'm going to, uh, yeah, I'm going to go, I'm going to go four. I mean, I, I got like a good 40 pounds on you. I'm going to say four beers for me is uh that's a good show. We agree. Second yes. one. Yes. All right. I wanted to save my most controversial take. Kanye West. I'm going to pose this as a question and then give one example so I can prove my point because it's going to be, yeah, it's going to upset a lot of people out there. Oh, wow. I'm nervous already. All right. Here it is. Why can't a band play their best song twice? I have never understood this ever. And the band I want to posit as example, Exhibit A, is The Killers. You're telling me The Killers cannot, in any universe, open with Mr. Brightside, and then an hour and 45 minutes later, close with Mr. Brightside. I use them as an example because I respect them. I like them. I like a lot of their songs. But let's just face facts. Like, if the the best of the rest of their songs are eights and nines, like... Mr. Brightside is a 10 out of 10. Let's just pay that twice. It can get people fired up for the beginning of the concert and then close it down and bring the house down with it. Tell me why a band can't play their best song twice. I agree with you. I think the answer though is probably artistic integrity. Um, I have been to, I've been to one show and racking my brain. It was, it was definitely like a, a band that hasn't been big in 20 years. And I saw them at like state fair or something. Um, you know, Hootie and the Blowfish or something like that. And they, they did exactly what you said is they started with their big one and then they ended with it as well. And people fucking loved it for sure. But um, I think that in a way that that is a band passively admitting, like, this is us at our best. And I, I think the killer, like killers is a good example, actually, they would probably disagree with you and they're biased, obviously, but like they would disagree that like Mr. Brightside is like peak killers most artists usually love their newest album, you know, regardless of what, <clears throat> when it comes out. Um, I, I think that that's what the, the main hindrance is that it's just like, well, we're, we're better than this. Like the one song that we would play instead of playing our biggest hit is a better song. I, I think that that it would just be a matter of like their artistic opinion as to why they're not playing it twice. Cause they have, I, I yeah. get their perspective, but I also want to point out that they're wrong. <laughs> And it would just make my life a lot better. Sure. I mean, especially if it's if it's a headlining set where you have an hour and a half between there. All right, may, just now I just thought of what... So Mr. Brightside just too damn short. Like I'm paying to see the killers yeah. and Mr. Brightside clocks in at like 341. I don't have it in front of me, but something like that. Is the perfect fix to that situation? Can you just do the chorus one more time? Can you turn a song that's 341 into five? 
main and maintain your art, artistic credibility and just give us one more chance to sing along. I don't think that's asking too much. I just paid you, 120 say, bucks for this ticket. Did you say 341? Yeah, just it's, three, it's 342. That, that's impressive. I just looked it up. That's wow, dude. Um, what can I say? I like Mr. Brightside. If you can't, I could, tell. I could see that, like, like, um, so on like the band's last song at the end of the song, if they kind of like transition into like a, well, first yeah. of all, the, the, there's something called a coda in written music, and you hear it a lot in movie scores and certainly like operas and stuff like that, like repeating the most notable theme of an entire musical composition is yeah, like an incredible awakening. Yeah, it's a, exactly. Yeah. It's an incredibly well, yeah, it's incredibly well established trope uh, or mechanism or whatever in, in music. So with that in mind, I actually really like that. I think that that's a super cool thing to do. Dude, we solved it. <laughs> okay. So let's just start. We'll split all the labels in half. I'll get like Geffen and Warner brothers and stuff. And you do like, um, you get all the rap, right? You do you take care of that, but just start letting them know that you have to at least work in one chorus of your biggest song at the end of your set or the beginning. So, okay. Yeah. Cool. I'm glad we figured that out. Yeah. I think that's an awesome note to finish on with that, Dave. <laughs> I want to thank you for one, inviting me on the mind meld podcast and sure. two for appearing also at the same time on the nineties rock podcast. A <laughs> uh, 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 pleasure as always. And I'm thinking maybe I'm going to be bringing some gear out on the road to document the experience. And like, maybe we can check in like 20 shows into the tour and I can tell you like, maybe I'll be addicted to heroin by then, or I've killed a hooker on it. For, yeah. For the ratings. Dude, maybe I get kicked out of the band in like the first five show. Anything's possible, dude. Um, I'll bring so the high yeah. noon. Uh, yeah, so thank you for being a part of the Mind Meld podcast with Dave Perry. And I encourage everyone listening to check out both podcasts and both their websites and subscribe on everywhere you can like find podcasts and social media and all that shit. And be sure to catch Raw live this across summer. the nation this year. Dave will be passed out behind the drum kit. So pass. I'm going to piss my pants during the first song. It's going to be great. All right. Thanks, Dave. This was awesome. Thank you, Rob. You're the best around. Yep. (laughs) Have a good night, man. Bye.